What I want to touch on today is something that I feel God is doing wherever we go, to some degree or an extent, whether it's happening to a greater degree or there's just a deeper desire. And it's a little touch on the glory of God. It's something that God is still unfolding in my life. I preached a little while ago. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, and then I want to talk about a couple of things that we've just noticed wherever we've gone. It doesn't matter the culture, male, female, it doesn't really matter. There's a couple of things I find most people struggle with, and I'm going to touch on two of those just to identify them. Amen. That's what I want to do. It's a simple message this morning. So let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2. This is a, a prophetic word. This particular, we call him a minor prophet in the Old Testament. He never really prophesied about Israel or coming events. It was just a conversation between him and the Lord. And he writes that down. That's basically what that book is about. And it says, For the earth will be filled, and I've underlined in my Bible, will be filled. Not maybe, if, but will be filled. This is the Lord responding to him. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How many have heard that verse? Often we misquote it. We just say the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. We miss out that word knowledge, and that's a key ingredient as the waters cover the sea. The Hebrew word for knowledge there in this verse called is yada. Okay? The teacher in front saying, yes, he's just checking me out. Hallelujah. All right. It's the same word used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Adam knew Eve. What it means, it's an intimate, experiential knowing which results in reproduction. It's an experiential knowing which results in reproduction. That's what that word means. All right. In the New Testament, Jesus said, I know the Father. That's the same word in the New Testament. I know the Father to that degree. If you don't turn to Ephesians 1.18, says, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you might know, similar word, the hope to which he has called you. Similar word, similar understanding. Ephesians 3.19 says, I pray that you might know the love of God, the height, the width, the depth, and know this love that surpasses understanding. So the promise of this word will not be fulfilled in one moment, but will unfold through a continuous process of relational encounters, just as Adam and Eve experienced in a lifelong commitment and covenant to one another. That's how it unfolds. Doesn't just the glory come, and I'm changed. No, no, no. That's why the Bible says we're changed from one degree of glory to the next. It's a process, as I know him intimately. So I just summed it up this way. God's glory is the result of God's expression or revealing of himself. In other words, everything he has made and does and the attributes and the nature and the power behind these actions are his glory. And as surely as the waters cover the sea, that will be seen on this earth. That's the promise. Hallelujah. It's going to be an unfoldingness of it. 
There's many prophetic words that have gone out. I remember the old Kansas City prophets. Some of you might know what I'm talking about in the 80s. Many of them prophesied the stadiums that we see where the football players play and the baseball players play will be filled with Christians because the glory of God's come in at a greater expense. Just praising God. So they have said man built it for that, but God made sure it got built for this purpose. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful, eh? Imagine everybody going there for that purpose. That'll be wonderful. Okay. So, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, please. It says this. Let's bring it over to the New Testament. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, we all know when that happened. Genesis chapter 1. He spoke, let the light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge, same word, yada, but a New Testament context, the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ now. See, everything that we need is because of Jesus Christ, in Christ, through Christ, and by Christ. Everything is to display God's glory in the face of Christ. But it's an unfoldingness. The knowledge of that, the intimate, experiential, relational outworking. Amen. And it begins to work within us. That's what it's saying. And I find wherever we go, this is beginning to happen to a greater degree, or there's a greater desire for it to happen. More and more and more. And it's wonderful to see. It really is. No matter which nation we go to, we see it. I've had the privilege of ministering on that word, the glory of God, where I ministered, yeah? Some people heard about it and said, please come and minister that. So I did it in South Africa. I did it in Canada. I did it on the West Coast. The response is the same everywhere. It doesn't matter. God is not confined to color or nation, nationality. You with me? He's God. He's the creator of all. So that's what I find happening, which is very exciting. But in our travels, I've also found there's a number of things that seem to hold some people back. But I'm only going to focus on two. Two that I find are, are very key. It's like the Old Testament puts it this way. When God took the people out of Egypt and sent them into the promised land, and he gave them particular instructions on not to intermarry with the enemy, not to intermarry with, you know, the Canaanites and whatever. And he gave them certain instructions. He said, the reason being is because they will lead you away from me. And that's exactly what happened. They did. He said, if you do that, they'll become like barbs, hooks, and snares in your life. So you'll still be in the promised land, but it's going to be like a barb in you. It's going to be a hook in you. It's like a snare in your eyes. And that's what I feel in a New Testament context. Sometimes there's like a barb or a hook or a snare, something from the past that hangs on to people that wants to stop them walking into all that I've just shared. And so, I want to mention two of them. The first one is a lack of understanding what it means to be a Christian. It's as simple as that. The lack of understanding what it means to be a Christian. The lack of understanding what it means to be born again as a child of God. It's incredible. I don't get saved just because I say a sinner's prayer. Please understand my heart. I'm not saying they won't get saved, because the Bible says if it calls upon the name of the Lord. But it doesn't mean they got saved then. But that's a process. There has to come a time in a person's life 
when the reality of Christ becomes a reality to them. So I ask that question. When did Jesus become a reality to you? Not when did you say the prayer. Because something significant happened there. That's why Jesus said we need to be born again. Many of you know, I got born again at 33. I'm now 35, so that's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody laughed very hard at the back there. (laughs) Yeah, no, my body ages quickly, you see. (laughs) At 33. So I lived 33 years on this earth just doing my own thing, not understanding it. Understand, I understand that. But at 33, by the grace of God, I encountered my life. I didn't understand the significance of it then, so there's no... It's not a a criticism. I didn't understand it then, but through the process of years, I've come to see the significance of that event. It's just an event. It's just an entrance into where God wants to take me. It's not the finality of everything. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what Jesus said. If you need to be born again to enter into the kingdom, you cannot enter into the kingdom if you're not born again. You cannot perceive and understand the kingdom if you're not born again. That's what he said. Because it's a spiritual thing that happened. So the best way I can describe it is I put a diagram up. The Bible clearly tells we have a spirit, soul, and body. But before you and I were born again, that part that says spirit was, in a sense, dead. That's what the Bible says. It was dead. It was inactive. So I lived for my soul, which is my mind, my will, and emotions, and my body. That's where I lived from. So I was living, I had kids, I got married, etc., etc. But there was no connection between me and the Lord because my spirit inside was inactive. That's the best way I can describe it. You with me? All right. The day I got born again, my spirit man came alive. Spirit to spirit. That's why you've got to get born again. That's why Nicodemus said, but how does that happen? I can't get my mother's womb and come out again. He said, no, spirit gives birth to spirit. Hallelujah. So what got born again? Your spirit, not your mind, not your emotions, and not your will. That didn't get born again. Your spirit got born again. But you still have those. So the whole of our Christian walk is learning how to live from a spirit. That's the nuts and bolts of it how to live from that place. And it's a process. And the more we learn to live from that place, the more we will manifest and see the glory of God being revealed. His goodness, His greatness, His love, His kindness, His gentleness, His forgiveness. So let's put up the next slide. So the salvation of the Spirit. That's why Ephesians says, and He made you alive, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's why I said Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Amen. What was dead? The spirit. That's what he said. You were dead. Yet these people were living, physically alive. But he said, no, you're dead. Because of sin and transgressions. The soul was alive, the mind, will, and emotions, and the personality, but the spirit was dead. And God says, now make that alive. Next slide, if you can. So, the salvation of the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have become new. So, your spirit is born again. 
Your body is not born again, it remains the same, and your soul is not born again, it remains the same. Now, if we can understand that, that's key. Because when you get born again, you become a child of God. That's how he sees you. Every time Christ looks at you, every time the Father in heaven looks at you, that's how he views you. That's how he sees you. This is my son. This is my daughter. Because when you get born again, you get put into the family of God. That's why Jesus said, I'm not going to heaven. I'm going to my father's house. It's an intimate family relational term. But we've made it so much about going to heaven, and the Bible has made it so much about having a relationship with our Father in heaven. That's what the Bible's made it about. That's what Jesus made it about. Getting you back to the one who created you in the first place. Because he wants to have relationship with you as a father and a son. All right, next one. So the salvation of your soul. One Peter says, we are receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our soul. Now he's talking to Christians. So he's talking to save people. He's saying, but one of the goals that your faith is going to work out is going to get the salvation of your soul. I explain that now. James would therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Hebrews said, now the just shall live by faith, but if anybody draws back, my soul has no pleasure. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So what is the Bible talking about you? The Bible is talking about you're born again, you're a child of God. Settle that, people. Settle that. When you wake up in the morning, I don't care what you've been through, what you've done, what you haven't done, whether you've read your Bible, you haven't read your Bible, where you went to church, you haven't been to church, you wake up and you say, I'm a child of God. Amen. Done. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't go by your feelings. Go by what the Word says. Go by what the Word says. I know you've heard me say this. This is my wife. When I wake up in the morning, even when we've had a fight and she's always wrong, always <laughs> teasing, okay. She's still my wife, whether I believe it or not. She's still my wife, yes or no. Yes. I can't deny who's this woman right next to me. You know what I mean? She's your wife. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but when we when we are disagreement, when we are not seen eye to eye, when you're not seen eye to eye with the Lord, and the Lord doesn't change. Just remember that, okay? So we're not seen eye to eye the Lord. The Lord's not going to change. So that tells me already when we're not seen eye to eye, the issue is, uh, yeah, somewhere, all right. What changes? I'm still a child of God. I'm still a son of God. I'm still married to my precious wife. My relational intimacy changes. I don't feel connected. But it doesn't change who I am, a child of God. If people could get this inside them, you won't beat yourself up. You won't walk around with guilt and shame. But we believe this inside. It's so important. It really is. So when my wife and I are having a disagreement, we're not seeing eye to eye. And then she lies on that side of the bed, and I lie on that side of the bed, and she touches me, I pull my phone. No, don't touch me now. Okay. All right. Married people, you know what I'm talking about. You're with me. And so often, that's what we do to God. God wants to still reach out to us. And we say, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. 
That's the lie of the devil. Yeah. No, you are worth your value. He got you saved. He gave you a rebirth. He made you his child. Hallelujah. He wasn't taken by surprise when you got saved and said, geez, I'm going to have problems with this guy all the later on. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one person, Clayton, who knows? I don't know, but no, I'm teasing. <laughs> all right, next slide. The other names that the Bible calls, these are just names that the Bible calls for the saving of the soul. Just phrases, saving of the soul, weeding your God and being conformed to pruning of the vine, transforming your mind, circumcision of God, sanctification, perfecting the heart, saved soul, prosperous soul, that's in John, picking up your cross, how many have heard that? Walking in the spirit, the discipline of the Lord, abiding in the vine, stopping the works of the flesh, cleansing the heart, that's another terminology for the same thing. Amen. That's what it is. Not because he's angry with you. Because the Bible, he gave an oath. God gave an oath that he would never be angry again. Go read it. It's an oath. When God gives an oath, it's an oath. There's no, depend, there's no, it's not like a contract. You play a part, I play a part. He plays the whole part. Oh, thank you, Isaiah 54. It says, as the waters, when the waters flooded the earth, Never again will I be angry again. He's prophesying to the New Testament. God is not angry with people. Please, he's not angry with you because you didn't come to church last week. He's not. I promise you he's not. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Think about that statement. I'm a child of God. Unfortunately, our culture tells us three lies. I am what I have, I am what I do, and I am what others say about me. And there are three lies enforced in our upbringing, through our culture. I am what I have. You're not what you have. You're a child of God. doesn't matter what you have. Done. You're a child of God. doesn't matter what you have or don't have. You're a child of God. Ha, <laughs> ha. You're with me. Our value is in that, not in what I have. There's nothing wrong with having. Don't get me wrong. Nothing. I am what I do. You're not what you do. You're a child of God. Don't put your identity in what you do. Put your identity in who you are. Then out of that you will do. I agree. Out of that world we will do something. But I cannot get my identity in what I do or what I own. I cannot, because that shifts, and I am what others say about me, and this is a big one for many people, I am what other people say about me, I am what my dad said about me, you'll never make it, son, sorry, I didn't say that to him, I didn't, oh, you just, look at you, you failed again, you're lazy, and it gets repeated, and repeated and repeated, and we don't do well in school. It gets repeated, it gets repeated, it gets repeated. And then we begin to believe it, and we draw identity from that. And God says, it's totally different. No, you're not that, my son. You're my son. You're none of that. So when are we going to believe what God says as opposed to what other people say? When are we going to believe what God says as opposed to what we have? When are we going to believe 
as opposed to how we get identified by what we do. Maybe we're just going to believe what God says. Just believe what God says. Trumps everything. Amen. This leads me to the second one. That's the first one. Just been understanding the born-again experience and the whole thing of sonship and everything. Okay, the second one is this. Don't put the scriptures up here. Something has happened to people. I'll just use us. Somebody said something to us or to you or to me. Somebody did something to us or we encountered something from the past that is still influencing the way I think and the way I believe today. I find that again and again and again and again. Something from the past, either somebody did something, said something, or some experiences we went through are still impacting what I believe today, so it impacts the way I live today, but it's something that God says, I've dealt with. But we're still believing it. And so the key for me is renewing our mind the way we think as to what the Bible says about it. So that's why Romans 12.2 says this. That's why Paul says this. You know, you can stick that verse up. Come in. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Remember, I gave three of them, the lies. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Please don't allow people to conform you. Don't allow people to put you in a box. Don't allow people to say that's what you like. That's not what you like. You like what God says you are, a child of God. Amen. You with me? Ephesians 4, verse 17 and 18, Paul says it this way. Did I say 17 to 24? It's a bit of a long scripture, but I have to give a context. Ephesians 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles, that's the unbelievers, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in the understanding. When we think like we were here, we get darkened in our understanding. And we don't see the light of the glory of Christ within us. Darkens it. And separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That's what happens ultimately when we believe a lie ongoingly. It begins to harden my heart. That's ultimately what begins to happen down the period of time. And God's got to come and soften it again. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learnt. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Because as you think, that's what you do. The Lord's saying, change the way you think. Believe what I tell you about who you are. Believe that, and your, your, your behavior will begin to change. Don't change your behavior to get accepted. Believe and your behavior will change. That's what will happen. That's what will happen. Hebrews 11. This, three, four weeks ago, I was reading this and it just struck me. Hebrews 11:13. 13. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. That's an amazing scripture, eh? But they never gave up believing. Never gave up believing. And they saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been, what's that word? Thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Isn't that amazing? If they had been thinking of their past, what people said and did to me, and how people treated me, I'll have opportunity to return and live from that place. Instead of looking ahead at what Christ has said who I am and living from that place. That's how powerful it is. That's why the Israelites wanted to go back. Because they kept thinking about it. And nowhere in Scripture, you've heard me say, nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture does the Lord say look back except to remember what is done. Nowhere. Do not bring up your past, people. You reinforce the lie that has been fed to you. You reinforce it. Now, if there's an issue, God will deal with it. He will help you overcome it, and he'll help you get free from it. Now, I understand that needs to happen, because you're already free from it. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) In Christ's eyes, you're free. So, if I had to take out of this Bible, and I was going to buy an old Bible, and do this, and my wife said, Ooh, I thought maybe I better not. I'm going to rip it out. You're quite right. Okay. If I had to take a Bible and rip out in the Bible the books where three people murdered people, and if they'd lived there, they would never have written these books. The first five books of the Bible would be gone because Moses killed somebody. Gone. Just rip them out because he kept thinking about what he did, but he didn't. They're gone, all right? There's 150 Psalms. 75 would be ripped out, because David wrote them, and he killed somebody. Just ripped out and gone. Paul killed a couple of people, so we'll have, of the 27 New Testament books, we'll rip out 14. Think about that. If they've chosen to think, about that. They didn't. They were created new. You're a new creature, the Bible says, when you got born again. You're a new creature. You're a new being. The old is gone. The new has come. Amen. That's how God wants us to think. So I'm encouraging this. And dismantle the lies the enemy has fed you over the years. Learn to dismantle them. Learn to believe truth. Now, if you can go to your Bibles, and we'll end very briefly, yeah, and we're going to play a song. Go to 2 Corinthians, please. And in all our travels, we find these two, plus the other one about love. Does God really love me? Don't have time to go into that. These two are probably the biggest issues that people struggle with. 2 Corinthians. Remember, we read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, verse 6, it says, For God said... Let's go to verse 4. Let the light shine out of darkness. Remember that? Make his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7 says this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to know that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So Paul is saying you have this treasure 
inside, inside this body. That's what it's saying. Because your spirit man's alive. The glory of God resides there. You have it in this jar, this clay, this jar clay. That's what he says. It's in there. It's there. Just believe it. You're a child of God. Believe it. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. How many have felt like that in their life as a Christian? All right. We are perplexed. How many have felt perplexed in life, but not in despair? We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. So there's this thing that's happening. I'm dying, but I'm living. And the more I die, the more the treasure begins to live out of me, shine out of me. That's what begins to happen. All right? For we, for we who are alive, so I'm living, I'm breathing, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in my mortal body. In other words, Paul is saying that as I just continue to surrender, renew my mind, lay my life down, as my soul is busy getting saved by the engrafting word, as my emotions come under the control of my spirit, as my desires are being laid down, I'm busy, feel like I'm dying. How many of you know that? Hello, hello, you know what I'm talking about? Should I worship today? Oh, I had a tough, I hardly slept last night. My wife didn't, wasn't nice to me. The coffee was cold this morning. Oh, no, I'm not going to worship this morning. I'm being real. No, no, I choose to worship you, Lord. That's dying to self. That's simple act. So as that death is happening, life is beginning to come. That's what the Bible's saying. That's exactly. But it's coming through my my body, so that when you lay hands on somebody, the life comes through the body and touches somebody else. For Jesus' sake, so we who are alive are always being given to death, but so that his life may be revealed in our mortal. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Isn't that amazing? So Paul's saying, we dying, Christians, but life is working those that we're reaching out to. Because the life is always there. The Spirit's always willing. Always willing. Then in this amazing verse, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Not what I feel. Not what people say. Not because my coffee was cold. Or Panera didn't serve me the right food. Or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Not because my wife was nasty to me. Or whatever. Can I be a little vulnerable? Can I be very vulnerable too? I knew I was, I was going to preach on this weekend, and Michelle and I had a, not an argument. We just, she didn't see eye to eye with me again. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one or two things were said. Nothing, I'm just being honest. I'm just being very vulnerable. And it impacted me. It really impacted me. I never told her. Why? Because that's not about it. About the Lord saying, Ken, are you going to allow those words to determine who you are? That's what he said to me. <sighs> Took me a day to change it around. Because one of my love languages is words of affirmation. 
that really impacted me. Hello, you were three times the father spoke to his son Jesus Christ, where the Bible says people heard it audibly. Three times. First time is in Luke chapter three when he got baptized. And the first thing he said, This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Yet Jesus did nothing. Second time on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter and James and John were up there, and the father spoke. They said it thundered. And he said, this is my son who am I love. Listen to him. Now when you see the progression. The third time he's in John chapter 12 when he was about to go to Calvary a couple of days later. And Jesus, the Bible says, he was anxious in his soul because he knew what he had to go and die. And Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. And the father spoke and he said, this is my son whom I love, whom I will glorify. I see the progression, people. I believe it's there for a reason. Because the father is saying, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Done nothing. Just been born again. This is my son, this is my daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. As you listen to me, people will listen to you. What are you saying? This is my son, my daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. I'll allow my glory to come in you and through you. See the process. That's what the Father's delight is. That we may reveal how great it is. And he wants to reveal it through us.